Caprice. Jesus, man, could you change the channel? Fuck you, man. If you don't like my fucking music, get your own fucking cab. I had a really rough... I'll pull up to the side and kick your ass out. Man, come on. I had a rough night, and I hate the fucking Eagles, man. You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have on the line right now? Hello, are you there, callers? They are here. We are here. We're, this is Owen and Stu from the Eagles. Yes, who are you, Owen and Stu? Please explain. Who are you? We are uh, some somewhat special people. <laughs> We're, uh, we're a rock and roll band from Tacoma, Washington, and we're going to be playing in your city tomorrow in Vancouver for the first time ever uh, to the Manipulators record release party. And they, we, uh, we're comrades with them, and they've come down here and played quite a few times with us, but we've never made it up to Vancouver to play. So we're coming. And you've tried to come up to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, haven't you? We've desired to come up there, and so now tomorrow it's actually happening. It is happening tomorrow. That's tomorrow, Saturday, August the 7th, at the Cobalt. The fucking Eagles from Tacoma, Washington, who we're speaking to right now on an Ardwater Human Survey Radio Show, The Manipulators, Manic Attracts, and Hospital Blonde at the Cobalt tomorrow, Saturday, August the 7th. And John... The manipulators, they love you guys, don't they? Mike Roach, we got to give some props to Mike Roach. He loves you guys. He's your champion in Vancouver, isn't he? Well, well we love him, too. We're not sure what's wrong with him. Yeah, there's, well, yeah I'm not sure exactly what, what his problem is, but uh, he's, he's definitely got some challenges if he likes it so much. How have the manipulators' gigs been in the United States of America when you've played with the manipulators down there? You know, they are always a blast. Every, I mean, we've, played, we've only played in a few shows with them. we played in Portland. we played in Tacoma with them a couple of times. we played in Seattle. And it's always a party, and it's always fun. And we have John and Stu from the fucking Eagles on the Nardwarda Human Serviette radio show. And I was curious, right off the bat, Stu, has the band Fucked Up from Canada helped at all with the fucking Eagles from Tacoma? You know, getting the word fucked up out there, mainstreaming the word fucked up. Yes, it's been a continuous uh, downward trajectory because of that name, and uh, just like we planned. But hasn't it actually gone upwards? Because the band Fucked Up from Canada has been doing so well, they've kind of brought the word fuck even more popular than it was before. Have you found that at all, John? Well, I think, I mean, the, it's, that word is it's a ridiculous word, but it's, it's just a word. We're riding on their fucking coattails, really, so... <laughs> But is it easier now to be in the fucking Eagles now that Fucked Up and, say, fucking Champs and other bands have helped pave the way? You know, you still, it's still hard to talk to your great-grandma about your band. And speaking of grandmas and older people, we're speaking here to the 
fucking eagles from Tacoma, Washington. You're from Tacoma, the home of rock and roll in the Pacific Northwest. The Sonics, you have a connection to the Sonics. The Sonics did their big reunion gig, and you couldn't make it to the bill because of your name. I mean, the greatest gig possibly ever for the fucking eagles, and your name stops you from getting on the bill for the reunion of the century? And, you know, the Sonics really are our grandfathers, literally, in some ways. We've got Kathleen Lind, Rob Lind from the Sonics is her uncle, the saxophone player. So we're, you know, it's kind of an inbred rock and roll city here, and we definitely have some of the DNA of the Sonics in our band. But unfortunately, with so, you know, even with our polite name, we weren't able to play the show. But I, we're. Are you still there? Stu has something to say here. Go ahead, Stu. Yeah, you would think with that uh, with that connection, but I think they were just being polite, saying it was the name. It, I, they obviously heard us, and uh, <laughs> that, was, that was probably the deal breaker. Well, what I wanted to say about that whole thing was they can make it up to you because isn't Rob Lind a pilot? Like he could like fly you to some gigs. Oh. He's like a. Is really, and he's gonna jump ship from the Sonics and just and join the Eagles. That's but, our plan. But he's a pilot, too. Like, he's a pilot and in the Sonics. Like, he used to, like, fly around rock bands, didn't he? Isn't he a pilot, too? He really is a pilot, yeah. So he's going to, you know, we want him to fly over and pull out his saxophone and play some songs with us. So this is an open invitation to Uncle Rob. Come on down. Meet us in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, meet us in Vancouver tomorrow night at the Cobalt. He might be himself, but... <laughs> So Stu and John from the fucking Eagles, how many of your friends are millionaires? <laughs> Friends? Oh, a, a not, as many, not as many as Joe Walsh and Don Henley and those, those fellas. Because growing up in the Pacific Northwest, not only are a lot of rock and roll millionaires, Microsoft millionaires, Scruzz. How is Scruzz doing, your good friend Scruzz? You know, I haven't, I haven't talked to Scruzz in a long time, to tell you the truth. Did you but meet... That does remind me of, a, of an interview. Actually, I remember, this is my, my favorite... Interview with you actually was not even an interview with me. It was an interview with Slayer, and I remember one time you called me. I was I was in sleeping, and I wake up to a phone call and pick it up, and it's Nardwar, the Human Serviette, asking me question after question about Slayer in preparation of his interview with Slayer, and uh, <laughs> and one of your questions had something to do with Scruzz because Scruzz had, had uh, he was on his honeymoon in Paris, and he thought he saw Tom Araya from Slayer at with some woman in Paris, and so at that interview that you did with Slayer, you asked Tom straight up, were you in Paris last Christmas? And he said no. But, so that's Scruzz for you. Scruzz, yeah, but if Scruzz, if you're listening, it wasn't Tom Araya. Thank you so much for remembering that, John. That's absolutely incredible. I think you also helped me with the yogurt rumor, where there was a rumor that Tom Araya of Slayer ate yogurt. And he said, yes, I ate yogurt, and I also eat pussy as well. They go hand in hand. And that all can be seen actually on YouTube if you type in Nardwar and Slayer. So thank you, Tacoma, for helping me with that. Also, I think Olympia helped with that as well. Quiddy from the Tight Bros, he helped quite a bit because, remember, he had that Zine Hessian obsession. Oh, yeah. They were, they were very, it seemed like Slayer was very excited to have heard about their, uh, you know, their being glorified so much by that fanzine. But Hessian Obsession was a great, I forgot about Hessian Obsession. They would print Slayer lyrics as poetry, right? Exactly. 
It was an amazing pioneering zine out of Olympia, Washington. And back to the millionaires, though. Microsoft, like, Scruz made a bit of money with the Microsoft. Have you guys encountered, Stu, have you encountered any millionaires from the Microsoftic industry down there? I imagine I have. Um, uh, I, hear I, think, I think there's probably more. There are more former millionaires, I think, is what you have up here or down here. But I don't really... I, we hang out with a pretty impoverished group of people, and so we're not really we're not really in those circuits. But you did play the EMP, which was brought to you by a very famous millionaire. What was that like playing the EMP, like the Sky Church? I still have not been down there. Well, it was uh, Bumbershoot. Oh, Bumbershoot. Okay, yeah, it was a very tall building, a tall ceiling. That's all I remember. No, it was fun. Very wide stage, very impressive light show that we didn't know was going to happen, but. Uh, it was fun. It's rock and roll. It's all fun. And we're speaking here to the fucking Eagles, who are playing tomorrow night, Saturday, August the 7th, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with The Manipulators, Manic Attracts, and Hospital Blonde at the Cobalt here. You guys are from Tacoma, Washington. So is Nico Case. When is the last time you guys spoke to Nico Case? Does Nico still represent Tacoma? I, I think Nico is kind of the she is she is Tacoma, even though she you know obviously left Tacoma a long time ago. But I haven't seen her a long time. I was in a band with her, the Propane, and we played a show with you, the Evaporator, in Tacoma, or was that Lakewood? It was a house. It was a house party somewhere. I, I'm pretty sure it was Tacoma. Yeah, it, yeah. It, there was a house party, and it was kind of around the time that Welcome to My Castle came out, the single, and we and you guys when you guys played that the whole castle of a house kind of started shaking and the place went crazy but that was i haven't seen nico in a long long time i saw her come to tacoma for the first time and play she was always kind of some she just seemed somewhat reluctant to play in tacoma but but uh she just came last summer and it was a really great homecoming for her oh where did she play that's great that she actually played there where did she play the Pantages theater this beautiful old theater in downtown tacoma were there any allusions at all to Tacoma that she talked about in her lyrics or anything like that? I will tell you, one of the things, well, she did play that Tacoma song, the, the, uh, the uh, thrice All-American, and it was kind of funny because her last words at the end of the set were, Tacoma, you bitch, you made me cry. And she started crying. So it was, it was touching. I didn't start crying, but I, I was crying on the inside. Tacoma has so much goodness, and thank you for showing me a lot of goodness in Tacoma over the years, fucking eagles. For people that don't know Tacoma, what can you tell them about the Goofy Goose? Is that still there, the Goofy Goose? <laughs> yeah, we're actually two blocks from the Goofy Goose right now. It's a great place to drive by and not stop. I, don't, I really don't know. <laughs> It's a, it's a restaurant, and it had, like, a signature meal, didn't it? Some sort of signature thing. I remember it was specialty. It was only at the Goofy Goose. So what was the meals like at the Goofy I, Goose? I really don't know. I think I You know about the Goofy No. They've added a marquee, though, outside in the parking lot that says, uh, don't, or vote, don't vote for uh, the Party of Socialists. So I don't know if that's helping her business or what, but no addition. So they must have some kind of cheap party <laughs> connection or something. I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting building. I'm not really sure what happens on the inside of the Goofy Goose. No, it's but it is in Tacoma. It, is, it does exist, and it's actually two blocks from where we're at right now, off of 6th Avenue, Tacoma, Washington, where the Sonics recorded their records at the Etiquette Studios. Now, was anything left from those actual studios? Because it was just like a room, wasn't it? Is there actual studios left? I thought it was just like an apartment, and it wasn't really a studio. Is there actually a studio there? 
this is how bad people's memories are. Nobody, people don't even remember where the studio was. <laughs> but all of the equipment has been taken away, and there's a few. I think we've used some of the pieces of equipment to record. Sure. I think. Yeah. Oh. Egg. At Egg Studios, yeah, Conrad Uno at Egg has some of the some of the gear from the original Etiquette Studios. And going through Tacoma here with the fucking Eagles, who are coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, we're speaking to John and Stu from the fucking Eagles. The Java Jive is still there. I thought it was going to be ripped down or something like that. It's always... Well, they were threatened uh, to close, but they, they got it back together with uh, uh, the community help and uh, got it reinstated and got all it passing uh, the fire code. And uh, I still, I think it's going well. I think it's doing strong. Yeah, we're actually playing there soon. There's something called, what is it? Maltoberfest. It's a malt liquor-themed Oktoberfest at the Java Jive. But I haven't been out there for a while either. But uh, it's still standing. The Jive is still standing, and there's still, there's still karaoke every Friday night from what I hear. Yeah, what can you tell the people about the Java Jive, and how many times have you guys played there? Because it is such a legendary place. It's probably the, the most legendary place in the whole Northwest. Possibly. I, well, it's a teapot-shaped building that was built in four pieces, actually, and then shipped in four pieces on semi-trucks to its current location back in the 20s or 30s or something. But uh, it's a it's a pretty legendary place. It's not... I mean, there's all, there are all kinds of rumors that are about that's where, you know, the Ventures played there all the time and the Sonics and the Whalers and all that kind of old-school stuff. And then there's things about the, you know, the... <laughs> the Ink Spots coming up with their song, Java Jive There, when really I think Java Jive was named after the Ink Spots song itself. But uh, it's just a legendary place. It's, it's pretty much a, just a great classic tavern that happens to be shaped like a teapot. I've been in there a few times where people come in expecting an, you know, to get some cappuccino or a double latte or something. And it's definitely not a coffee shop. <laughs> it's a bar. And they just recently, in the last 10 years or so, have started to have rock and roll shows and punk shows. So, uh, and actually, I think that might have been one of the last times we played. We played our, actually our first show there, the fucking Eagles did, but, uh, but our previous band, Stu and I were in that band, Ronson Family Switchblade, which played a few shows with the Evaporators on a tour a few years ago. And the Java Jive was one of the locations, wasn't it? It was indeed, and that's what I was thinking about, locations and places to play in Tacoma. Because years ago, you had mentioned, and thank you again for taking me into a house party years ago with Nico Case's propanes. That was amazing. There was also that famous house party with Harvey Sid Fisher. Where was that house party, and what was the clown room? <laughs> oh, this is, that's funny. I, you know, that house... This is even more funny. That is one block from where we're at. We're at. Right now we're sitting at Stu's house, a drummer, but he lives one block from where that party happened. And I, I was out of town for the – it was at my house. It was my house, and, and Sean Stern, uh, my roommate at the time, decided to have this party because I think it was Harvey Sid Fisher was on his – you know, the former soap opera actor that was on uh, – he was on tour supporting his, his astrology songs record and somehow had – I forgot who was backing up because I actually missed the show because I was my other band Seaweed was in Austin, Texas, playing South by Southwest that same night. So I missed the party at my own house that Harvey Sid Fisher played. But I came home the next day and you guys were all sleeping on my floor. And so I remember like meeting Harvey Sid Fisher and I remember hanging out after it and it and hearing about it and hearing about the clown room. But that le leads to that question you just asked about the clown room. The, <laughs> the clown room was this. Kind of like this band, the Fucking Eagles, was a joke that became real. It was like something that, or it wasn't really a joke, but something that 
that accidentally happened and continued to happen for many, many years. But it was basically this idea that Aaron Stoffer from Seaweed had about, um, <laughs> it was kind of a fantasy about moving into this house. And if there was an extra room, maybe it could be a clown room. He didn't really say what a clown room was. And so so eventually, back to Scruz, the other guy you mentioned, and Cindy Wolf, we moved into this house that happened to have an extra bedroom, and we didn't want an extra roommate, so somebody threw a clown in there. And then, you know, gradually it just started to get filled up with clowns. Anytime somebody came over, they would bring some kind of clown item, and eventually this whole room was filled up with clowns. And that's, I think that's where Harvey said Fisher played on that at that Show, didn't he? Yes, he was backed up by members of Zampano Superconductor and the Evaporators at the Clown Room, and it was such a raging party, such a success that DRI showed up at it, I remember. DRI tried to get into the party because it got so big, but they weren't allowed in. You had to turn away DRI. How about that? Uh, I, DRI was not at the clown room. I don't know where you got that. I mean, well, I, I guess I wasn't there, so what do I have to say? No, I they didn't really, they didn't, no, they did not make it into the clown room because they weren't allowed in, right? They wanted to come to the party, but it was such a big party, they were turned away. DRI was turned away from a house party in Tacoma, which makes me think, if you turn away DRI, who were in town that night playing a gig and afterwards, well, I guess went for the after party at the clown room here in a house party, is that what it's still like in Tacoma, so many house parties. Is that where you should play a house? Are there many house gigs still? You know, there's not as many as there should be, and that's actually something that I think we've been trying to revive more and more, but there are. Actually, John Letting, there is a house on Hilltop right now that has parties here and there. Um, and uh, so, <laughs> I just got a note from Wade saying that he thinks that that DRI thing was, it did happen, but I, <laughs> that's the first I've heard of it. But anyways, uh, so, Tacoma, I wish Tacoma had more fun parties like that, but what, what's happened is there's just more, there are more bars and clubs, actually, that are having different events. Tonight, we're playing down, the, there's a hot rod show down at the Swiss Tavern, and we're playing with Girl Trouble, so we're trying to kind of take the party indoors, you know, it does, it's not necessarily all about people's houses and people's yards, although that still happens. Last year, we played a Christmas tree farm, that says anything, <laughs> we played a family reunion party at a Christmas tree farm. So that kind of crazy stuff is still happening in Tacoma. But uh, but really, this, uh, the musical scene is starting to at least kind of grow into a place that can support some clubs. We've got, you know, we still have Hell's Kitchen downtown. We have the New Frontier, which is a new club here in Tacoma. That's a great place to play for any touring punk band. But uh, yeah, it's, it's still a rock and roll city. What were you doing at that time, Stu? Were you at the clown room party? Where were you? <laughs> I was locked in the clown room. <laughs> I was buried underneath the clowns. I, I didn't see much other than the, <laughs> the back of a bunch of clown heads. So you're afraid of clowns? So I, you know, I lived in the clown, uh, the house that had the clown room in it for years, and I would go months and months without even going into that room because it was it was kind of scary. It, it really got really scared, but uh, but it was pretty entertaining. So it's kind of sad to, to have seen it just go away. But it's gone. The clown room has dissipated. Like all of those thousands and thousands of clown items have been spread around the world, donated to very many charities. 
You have a great poster for your gig. And again, we're speaking here to the fucking Eagles. Hello, Wade, who are coming up to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow, Saturday, August 7th, to the Cobalt with The Manipulators, Manic Attracts, and Hospital Blonde. That's tomorrow night at the Cobalt. And there's a great poster for the gig in Vancouver. And I was looking at a lot of your gig posters and album art, and it's really cool. Who does all that? It's great. Most of it is this guy sitting here, Stu, our drummer, is he's the graphic mastermind behind most of that crap. Do you just do the stuff for the fucking Eagles, Stu, or do you do it for other people? Because I love it. How long have you been doing posters? Uh, yeah, just, just the band, and uh, nobody else wants it, uh, And as long as we've had the band. Because every poster really is killer. Like, they're the best posters I've seen in years. Wow, thank you. No, I really mean that. Do you get much feedback on the posters? Is it a lot of work to do one for every single gig, or do you recycle them at all? Yeah, there, there's a, a lot of recycling going on, really. Yeah, it's, it's a real pain in the butt to <laughs> sit there. And uh, my computer is really uh, ancient, so it's, it's a, little, a little tough to put it all together. Well, they really do look great, and people should check it out on your MySpace. And again, MySpace, fucking Eagles, Tacoma. And you can check out all the great posters there. And I think you guys are on Facebook, too. I saw some there. One thing I was going to mention, John, that kind of comes full circle, is that you guys opened as Seaweed for the Hanson Brothers in Vancouver. And then I see years later you opened for the Hanson Brothers as the fucking Eagles. It never ends, does it? It just never ends. <laughs> Was there any difference? Do you remember anything different? About the Hanson Brothers? Yeah, were they doing the same songs? <laughs> there was definitely some... Uh, well, I'd never... You know, Seaweed toured all the way across Canada with the Hanson Brothers, and they came back in kind of a no-means-no structure on the way back and played the same exact club. But, uh... Wait, were you on that? No, Dave Carswell was on that tour because Cub was on that tour, too. But anyways, I'm getting them all mixed up. All these tours are just a big blur especially ones across Canada. But uh, but I think that we have a person in our band, Jesse Searles, which is probably the biggest No Means No fan in the world, and he jumps on any opportunity to ever play with the Hanson Brothers or No Means No or anything like that. So we're pretty much just on the bill. Yes, who else is in the fucking Eagles? Maybe we should identify them. And aren't there some girls in the fucking Eagles too? Yeah, there's girl. There's there's all. It's a co-ed ensemble. We have we have Wade. Wade Neal from Seaweed is also in the band. Kelly Mickelson is our bass player. And Wade wasn't originally in the band. Kelly had a few shows he couldn't make, so Wade filled in on bass. And then when Kelly came back, Wade just didn't go away. So he's still in the band. And so he's playing a third guitar. So we have three guitars. We have Jesse Searles is our lead guitar player. Uh, we have Kim Rushforth, Linkert is one of our singer uh, tambourine players. It's kind of hard for me to even keep track of all of them. We have Catherine Lynn, as I mentioned, on tambourine and vocals. Uh, me, Stu on drums. We have, a, we have Greg on harmonica sometimes. We have a lot of guest musicians Beatbox coming Fred. on. Beatbox Fred sometimes on, on vocal drums. You know, we've got, it's, it's whoever shows up, basically. <laughs> but we try to make, I mean, we try to make it a, a jamboree. And you guys jamboree. play, it seems like, every weekend you're doing gigs. You're playing with tons and tons of bands. Have you played with the Eagles of Death Metal yet? Uh, we haven't, but I think a lot of people kind of correlated when we first started. They would see our name and they associated us with them and thought that we would sound like them. A lot of people think we're metal. So a lot of people come to our show when they find that we're a, basically a party band. We're a rock and roll, good times party band. 
they're kind of blown away because you know people think we're going to either either obscene or angry or metal, and none of which we are. Now, have you played any angry shows? Like, have you played with the Mentors or the Dwarves? <laughs> I don't think. Have we played any angry shows? No, we have. We're missing our opportunity. The mentors are in town on Monday. Really, the mentors are here in Tacoma on Monday. Oh wow, this is our chance. No, the... We try to we try to orient ourselves towards good times. What's the angriest show you ever played in the fucking Eagles? More the guy with the port. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, the, we did play. A, we played with the Glory Holes, which are an awesome band from Seattle. Really fun band at this place called the Morgue in Georgetown in South Seattle, and this guy. The only reason it was angry because that we were angry. He was spitting wine on it, like cheap Thunderbird crappy wine on. I mean, even if it was good wine, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't want to spit on me. But this guy was spitting wine on us, red wine, and it was just kind of annoying. And so what I did, I actually instead of like getting mad at him, so I, I kind of it was it was the angriest show because I was a little bit angry, but I transformed my anger into shaking him down instead. So I actually just from the stage asked this guy to to take all the money out of his pocket and just give it to me. So I basically shook him down from the stage. <laughs> That's how, that was, I guess, my only angry moment in the Eagles. But really our whole spirit is, you know, to revive the joy of rock and roll and make it happen. And it has nothing to do with anger. How much money did you get and did you buy soap afterwards? <laughs> I'm sure we got at least 50 cents to a dollar, but I'm sure we found some soap somewhere else. Now, as Seaweed, you guys played the Sub Pop 20, didn't you? You played the Sub Pop 20, the big reunion. Yes, we did. That was fun. That was a blast. Have you had much communication with Sub Pop since it all happened, since the Sub Pop 20? you going to be doing more with Sub Pop? Do you hear much from them? Do you get the checks in the mail, that sort of stuff? Not really. We're not really interested in that. I mean, we are, we're still, Seaweed is working on this kind of long-term project and thing we're doing we're putting we are working on a record with a, a non we don't have a timeline really our timeline is you know we don't have an end goal to this but except for to put out this record but we've been working years on it but but really sub pop has nothing to do with it you know i mean if they wanted to put it out that would be great but but we're uh we're uh this the extended you know seaweed wasn't a band for 10 years and we had a reunion and uh it was really fun and we decided we wanted to keep it going but we're definitely uh we're definitely kind of doing it as on a day-to-day basis. We're not really working much on it. Do you ever hear from Hollywood Records at all? Because you guys were signed to Hollywood Records. Do you ever hear from them? Didn't they get you on like Beavis and Butthead? Uh, what? Wait, what? Uh, I I don't know what you're talking about exactly. <laughs> weren't you guys on Beavis and Butthead? Weren't Seaweed on Beavis and Butthead? Yeah, we were on Beavis and Butthead. So, I mean, every now and then people will say that they were watching some reruns of Beavis and Butthead and they saw that seaweed video on Beavis and Butthead. Now, who got you on Beavis and Butthead? Was that Sub Pop Records or was that Hollywood Records? Yeah, we were on Sub Pop. But that had nothing to do with Hollywood. But, yeah, we did put out a record called Span Away on Hollywood Records. And I remember you guys got, like, season passes to Disneyland, right? Well, we had we could, we could go. We had all-access passes to Disneyland. We could go backstage and... Uh, meet with the secret masters that run Disneyland. How much did you use it, and what did you discover there? Uh, we really can't talk about it. Because you can actually drink at Disneyland in that secret access place. That was one of the amazing perks of signing to Sub Pop Records Affiliates Hollywood Records. No, I don't know. Actually, who were distributors of Hollywood Records? Sub Pop or Warner? What were Hollywood Records? Who was their distributor? 
Uh, you know, I, re- I, I have no idea. Maybe it was Universal or something like that. Could that have been it? I, I have no idea. I don't. The whole. The whole ecosystem of record labels confuses the hell out of me, so I, I really can't answer that. Well, you were there right from the beginning, though, John, sort of the beginning of the whole sub-pop thing. Did you ever see Nirvana when they were Skid Row, like, way, 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 way back? I did. I saw Skid Row at the Community World Theater here in Tacoma. I, was, I, I thought it was their first show, but later I found out they did play one other show somewhere else. But I saw them, I also saw them as, they were called Really Soon one time. And they had Dale, the drummer for the Melvins, playing drums. That was pretty fun. I saw a couple of the early, the early Nirvana incarnations. Did Seaweed play with them back then at that time? Like, when did you play with Nirvana? You played with them a couple times, I think. Did they remember you as fans going to the gigs, or did they remember you as playing with them in bands and stuff like that? I, you know, it's like this whole South Puget Sound rock and roll grunge scene was, you know, it's pretty... Pretty inbred, but we played a part. Actually, my my the first time that we played with Nirvana was actually at a at a dorm at Evergreen State College. It was Fits of Depression and Nirvana and Seaweed, and that was kind of funny because actually, I, if I remember right, we had to play after Nirvana, and it was kind of like it didn't really feel right. <laughs> it was like, yeah, but uh, we did, and it was so that was the only time that, that we actually that might have been the only time we played with Nirvana. Was at a dorm at Evergreen State College, like in in a, right around the time Bleach came out. I thought you played one of those sub pop nights, or were you just not on that night that they played? Like one of those big sub pop motorsports garage, or one of those ones at the Vogue Theater, or something like that. Yeah, we played a few of those things. Like we played the Ultra Lame Fest with Mud Honey at the Paramount Theater. We played the Grunge Fest down in Longview. We played a lot of those kind of package grunge things, <laughs> but. Uh, but I don't think we really played with them. Maybe Wade is listening and can text message the answer in, but I don't think, I think the only time we played with Nirvana was at a party in, at Evergreen State College. And that was Seaweed, and right now it's back to the fucking Eagles. Right, Stu? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and we have a track all lined up, ready to go, Midnight Sour. What can you tell the people about Midnight Sour? Will you be playing that tomorrow night as the fucking Eagles at the Cobalt in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We will definitely be playing that song. Uh, it's the title track off this record that's called Midnight Sour. And uh, if you don't have it, you should check it out. It's a, it's a good rock and roll record. And was that recorded at Conrad Uno's with some Exonics equipment? Actually, no. It was record. Where was it recorded? It was recorded with Johnny Sangster from the Tripwires at Avast in Seattle. So Avast Two. There's a new studio called Avast Two that we recorded at, and. Uh, it was a really fun recording experience, but I couldn't tell you about the equipment. I'm not really a gear guy. I don't even remember what, what amplifier I was playing through. But it was a really it was a good recording session, and we're pretty happy with the way it sounds. Well, thanks so much for phoning in to the Nardware to Human Serviette Radio Show, John and Stu from the fucking Eagles playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tomorrow night at the Cobalt with the Manipulators. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? So uh, I take you don't do the doot doodle loot doot anymore. Oh no, I don't, we, we, uh, no, I, I usually kind of go. Anything else to add? Why should people care? And then doot doodle loot doot. Just that's usually how the program. Be, it usually begins with who are you? Actually, even before that, it's like check check check. Who are you? It, yeah, the, the crux of the interview is who are you? Interview questions. Then towards the end of the interview, anything else you want to add? Why should people care? And then the doot doodle loot doot. A great interview structure. So I wish I would have thought about it. And when you said 
who are you? I w- we could have actually had an answer to that. <laughs> no, that's okay because it's a bit more. Who we are. If you want to know who we are, come to the Cobalt tomorrow night and join us with the manipulators and the manic attracts and Hospital Blonde, and it's going to be a really fun show. And why should people care about the fucking Eagles? <laughs> Stu's nodding his head saying they shouldn't, and uh, I'm inclined to agree. Well, thanks so much, fucking Eagles. Well, the fucking Eagles should be cared about because they helped supply me indirectly years ago with questions for Slayer. So if you like Slayer, go check out the fucking Eagles tomorrow night at the Cobalt in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Well, thanks so much, fucking Eagles. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Do do.
And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and Anardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there the fucking Eagles with Midnight Sour. And they're playing tomorrow night at the Cobalt Inn, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And we have another person in the studio right now. Hello, who are you? Well, in years past, I used to be known as Eddie J, and uh, but these days they call me Crazy Ed. Um, I've got a I've got a story to tell you about that. You know, and Ed, we should get you to turn the mic around just slightly there, and we'll turn it there. There we go. The, Maybe we'll do that again. Who are you? Why, why it's Eddie J or uh, Crazy Ed, as they call me these days. Welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. Thank you for rejoining the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, Ed. A couple months ago, you helped me interview Wanda Jackson. The queen of the rockabillies. And in a few years before that, I talked to you with James Brown. Me and you were James Browning together. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And in a couple years after that, we did an interview with Ike Turner. Ike Turner, and he dropped my 78, and I'll never, never forget it bouncing off the floor, and it was cement, too, and it didn't break. And today you're here on an Ardwar to Human Serviette radio show to focus on rarest of the rare, Canadian rockers versus American rockabillies. Something for everyone. But right off the bat, you had something crazy you wanted to talk about. Well, you know, I used to work for the Sun Record Company, formerly of Memphis, Tennessee. Actually, when I was working for them, it was uh, Shelby Singleton's company, and he was based in Nashville. And one day I was sitting there with, with Shelby, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I just had this impulse, and, and I, I asked him, I said, Shelby, have you, did you ever meet Ronnie Self? And, of course, Shelby was originally from Louisiana, so he was drawling. He says, um, oh, I asked him, oh, he allowed that he had met him. And I, and I said, uh, well, Shelby, what was he like? And he drawled, drawled oh, Ed, you know, he's just like all the rest. He's crazy. And you know, Bernard, where that's how it is. I think for all musicians, you got to be crazy to be a musician. You know, and I'm just another crazy musician, really. However, if you own a Ronnie Self, you've got quite a good investment, haven't you? Oh well, they actually uh, the the Ronnie Self records, most of them were are pretty common because they had great distribution. You know, one time uh, when I was just a neophyte collector, I went to uh, one of the uh, senior local collectors, a guy named Quentin Russell, and uh, and I asked him, Quentin, have you ever heard of uh, a song called "Ain't I'm a Dog"? And you know what? He just looked at me as if I was completely crazy. And what record was that on the Sun label? Um, the, the Ronnie Self. Ronnie Self never got to record for Sun. He re-recorded for Columbia and ABC Paramount. However, you, Ed, did some sunning. And as you mentioned the sunning, you were actually the owner of the R for Canada. What can you tell the people about that? You owned for Canada the right to make Sun t-shirts. Well, I was a licensee, that, that's all. That was you working for Sun. That was what I did for Sun, yeah. Let's listen to Ronnie Self. Ain't him a dog. Ain't him a dog. Well, I come in this morning about a half past three. My good gal said she was a leader on me. I said, wait a minute, baby, let me help you back. When you leave, 
you know you can't come back. Oh, ain't I'm a dog. Yeah, I ain't I'm a dog.
You're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, and Crazy Ed. What did we just hear right there? Well, we heard a couple of unreleased cuts from uh, 1959. That was a fellow that uh, was uh, a one-time Vancouver milkman. Uh, his name, real name is Al Parker, but he called himself Simpson P. Kloop. Now, I'll tell you, um, uh, on the other side of the world, uh, they've been hounding me for a couple of years to to, uh, to get at my rare Canadian stuff. Uh, and that's what the show is today, rarest of the rare, the isn't rarest it? Canadian rockers versus American rockabillies. Rarest of the rare on an Artboard Humans Everybody Show with Crazy Ed. Back to you, Ed. So this, uh, for two years, they've been after me. Now, you can imagine here in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, we're at the end of the world of uh, collectible records. So, you know, by the time we, we, they've got around to me, this is really dredging up the end of it. So I, I, I finally, after being badgered for two years, I've, I sent off uh, a CD to Cease Klopp in, in Holland, and he's going to be making a CD of these rare Canadian rockers. Nellie Jean was also... Uh, Sipson P. Kloop, and that was also an unreleased cut from 1959. And before that? 
And before that, we had Ronnie Self and uh, and crazy crazy stories about crazy musicians. Then we have two tracks in there, though, Crazy Ed. We had two tracks, didn't we? We had two Can- we had Ronnie Self and then two Canadians. Right. Which one are we missing? Well, I, I mentioned the the Simpson P. Clue. The, the first one, cut was uh, 276, and the second cut was Nelly Jean. Oh, okay. We just heard a double shot. Double shot. Now we're ready to, to uh, swing it into some uh, rare American rockabillies. And uh, the criterion here is $1,000 records. If you've got a brand new copy of any of these records, you can be assured that uh, if you were to auction them off on eBay, you would get $1,000 or more. In some cases, much more. Now, what about that record you dropped during the Ike Turner interview, or that he dropped during the Ike Turner interview, or that I made Ike Turner drop? How much was that record worth oh, until it was dropped? That, that, was, uh, that wouldn't have been worth too much, uh, but he did autograph it for me. He was very nice about it. That, that was uh, the, the record that they, they call the, the first rock and roll record, which it isn't, of course, but... Uh, but uh, that's beside the point. Now, that was called Rocket 88 by Jackie Brinston, which uh, was Ike Turner's band backing him up. And right now we have coming up? We're going to be playing uh, Billy Adams uh, on a Quincy label. This is his first record when he was 15 years old. A VG minus copy sold for $1,500. And right after that we're going to hear? Well, after that we're going to play uh, a fella by the name of... Uh, um, Dwayne Bell, that came out on the Summit label, which is another $1,000 record. Rarest of the rare on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Well, I met a little gal on the outskirts of town. She asked me if I would show her around. I showed her around, around the an expression on that gal's face Hey, rock pretty mama Let's rock pretty mama And roll your blues, boy Well, I took her into town For a little dance Soon I knew she was my romance She jumped and hollered with the blues She said, oh, Bill, I can't stand it still
down. I get a feeling wanna go to town, even if it's only just a fool around. So hurry up, baby, get your hair tied down. It's a getting late and the sun's going down, and I'm in a hurry to get to town. Let's rock and roll on a Saturday night. I can do the rock and roll all night. The rock and roll, it seems just right. Let's do the rock and roll tonight. Grab your baby and hold her tight. There's just one night like a Saturday night. You're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette 
radio show. Today doing rarest of the rare Canadian rockers versus American rockabillies with Crazy Ed. Hello, Ed. Are you still there? Hi. What did we just hear right there, Ed? Well, that was another unreleased cut. Um, that was the Treetops from Vancouver, B.C., Canada, doing a, a, a record that, or a tune, rather, that was written by Buddy Reynolds, who um, uh, used to record for the Aragon um, record company, Vancouver's first um, record company. He had a huge hit called Spruce Bug way back in 1952 as a country and western singer. He wrote that one in about uh, 59 or 60. That that was um, cut in 1960. That was supposed to be released on uh, on a CD and actually it was all written up and everything and the people that made up the, the CD blew it and they put on uh, Jerry Palmer's version of the, the tune instead so it's really uh, quite humorous in a way that you read all about the treetops and expect to hear them, and then you don't. So uh, actually, that one uh, should be coming out on this uh, forthcoming uh, CD from from Holland. <clears throat> what label? Um, I'm not sure what label he's going to put it out on. I don't know. All these CDs are the same to me. You know, I'm just one of, one of these old guys that collects 45s. But you do love Canadian content. But before the Canadian content, we also had some American stuff mixed in there. What did we hear there? Well, well those were a couple of uh, $1,000 uh, American rockabilly records. Uh, Billy Adams, 15-year-old Billy Adams on the Quincy label. And Dwayne Bell, I don't know anything about him. Just uh, rare stuff, rock Rock and roll on a Saturday night on a Friday afternoon. Canada had a lot of neat things associated with it in regards to early rock and roll. For instance, Buddy Holly and Vancouver. There's three sort of connections to Vancouver via Buddy Holly and vice versa, aren't there, Ed? Well, there is actually, yes. And what are those? Well, number one, uh, the very first demo he ever made was uh, of a Canadian tune, uh, Hank Snow's uh, tune called My Two-Time and Woman. And then uh, his very first hit record was uh, took off, started right here in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, and that was played by Red Robinson, who listed it on, on his top ten for 68 weeks. And that, uh, in turn, was uh, printed up in Cashbox magazine, and other DJs picked up on it from there. And then his very last hit record was uh, written by uh, a Canadian fellow, uh, totally unknown, guy named Paul. Anchor. Canada helps Buddy Holly and Crazy Ed helps the Nordware to Human Serviette radio show with rarest of the rare Canadian rockers versus American rockabillies. Some more Canadian coming up here right now. What are we going to hear right now coming up? Okay, it's going to be uh, a tune that came out on the um, Aragon label. I just mentioned a Vancouver, B.C. label. But this is a, a group that was from uh, Saskatchewan, the Happy Roman Rangers, and a, an incredibly rare instrumental called Hard Rock Boogie. <laughs> Thank you. 
legs begin to bend. Oh yeah, when she started to move, her legs begin to bend. Oh, I swing right out and she'll come right back again. And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And today we're doing rarest of the rare Canadian rockers versus American rockabillies with Crazy Ed and his collection. Hello, Ed. What did we hear? Hello there. Well, that was uh, Gary Chris with uh, Hepcat Baby. And uh, and now we're we're going to play something uh, by the Canucks and and actually there was a, a rock and roll band called the Canucks, and actually they started in 1958 in Red Robinson's rec- uh, music studio. Red would uh, do these programs. On- Red, local DJ in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And if you're listening to Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show, responsible for helping to break Buddy Holly. He was one of the original eight. Bad Boys of Rock and Roll, along with uh, Alan Freed and Russ Fratto, and uh, he's in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. And the Canucks it started off with one guy just bringing his guitar down, and, and after Red finished his show, he would play for his guitar for the, for the crowd because uh, there was a crowd. Uh, all the teenagers would come to, to, uh, to hear Red do his uh, radio show, and uh, eventually Eventually, another guy showed up the next week when he brought his guitar, and uh, before you knew it, they had a band, and they couldn't get very many jobs around Vancouver. After uh, a little bit of time, they decided to go down to Las Vegas, and they spent two years in Las Vegas, and they were probably Vancouver's hottest band that Vancouver never, ever heard. And then uh, they they went over to uh, Los Angeles in, in 1960 for, and recorded uh, a tune called Rock Around the Barn for the Diodon record label. And then, true to the nature of rock and roll bands, they broke up. And uh, eventually, uh, one by one, they came back to Vancouver, and then for, uh, they went on to uh, to Whitehorse. And um, in the early 70s, they recorded a couple more records that got released on the sixth label, uh, label uh, Sixth Avenue label, as by the Canucks Limited. So anyway, here they are from 1960, Rock Around the Barn. And how rare is this one? How hard was it for you to get a hold of this one, Eddie J, Crazy Ed? Well, medium hard, medium hard. Where did you find it? On eBay. The Canucks. <laughs> Some chicks around the bar. Who are the 
chick, chick here and the chick, chick there.
Still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, and we're here still with Crazy Ed doing rarest of the rare Canadian rockers versus American rockabillies. What did we just hear right there, Ed? Well, now was, your mic's on. Well, that was another thousand-dollar record. That was Charles Dean and uh, Train Whistle Blues. Actually, before that, we had a Canadian guy by the name of Dick Damron, Dickie Damron, uh, on the first uh, record, and that's what what we heard, the first record on the Laurel label, which was uh, a custom press um, from Cincinnati, Ohio, the King Record plant. But uh, Dickie Damron had 500 copies uh, made up, and he sold them off the bandstand, and, and at one time he told me he burned about 485 copies in the Bentley, Alberta dump. And I bet you went looking for them, right? I said, I'll bring my shovel. You just tell me where to dig, man. Where did you get your copy? I traded a, an, a, a Calgary record collector for it. I, ga- I gave him about 150 records for it. Now, was that on a Canadian label? Well, yeah, I guess you'd have to say it's a Canadian label. It says Bentley, Alberta, right on the label. Amazing. Sometimes, though, it's hard to tell it's a Canadian label. For instance, Zero Records, Loretta Lynn, that is Canadian, isn't it? If there was no Vancouver, there would be no Loretta Lynn, right? Well, that's pretty much true because uh, the Zero Record label was uh, Vancouver, B.C., Canada record label pressed in Los Angeles. And, of course, when she recorded uh, those cuts that came out on the Zero label, they were recorded in Los Angeles with uh, a studio band um, comprised of uh, all the studio best studio musicians that Capitol had uh, at the time, including Speedy West on steel guitar. What do we have coming up right now, Ed? We got some Canadian content coming up. Well, we're going to play a crazy rare record, a thing called Rock With Me Baby. You got to watch this one, Nard, where it's only about a a minute and 47 seconds long. This one's by Big John Little called Rock With Me Baby. Came out on an American label called the Tri-Fi Record Label. And where did you get it? And where is he from? Well, I'm I'm not sure. He may might be. Um, well, actually, Big John Little um, recorded uh, with a with a group that was an American group. Um, 
they they had a uh, a hit record. They were from Buffalo, New York. Uh, so I kind of think Big John Little was uh, a Canadian from from Toronto, but he recorded with uh, with these fellows that went by different names. Um, one one name was the Rebels. Uh, another name was the Buffalo Rebels. Another um, name was the Hot Toddies, and they actually had a hit record in '59, the thing called Rockin' Crickets, and uh, Big John little saying on the flip side of that which was a, a great tune in and of itself so here we go with big john little rock with me baby not word of human survey radio show rock with me baby let us swing and sway roll with me honey dance your blues away hold me tightly dig this crazy song honey i can rock and roll all night long everybody's doing why shouldn't we so come on baby and rock with me yeah we're rocking tonight yeah we're doing it right long tall sally in the red blue jeans blue suede shoes and a shape that's mean all the cats are jumping rock and roll all night long everybody's doing it why shouldn't we so come on baby and rock with me
Listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, doing rarest of the rare Canadian rockers versus American rockabillies with Crazy Ed, Ed the Deadhead. Hello, Ed. Are you still there? We're still here. We're still here. We're rocking in the free world with Nardwar. Now, what exactly did we hear there, Ed? We heard something very interesting on the Sun Record label, and I'm impressed that these are very rare. How rare was that record? This record, if you could find a mint one for sale, or a mint minus one, really, because it's 45, and, and uh, there are no mint ones in a sense, because it's a, you know, it, it doesn't come uh, um, uh, sealed, so you know, it's always an open record. But if you could find one, you you would uh, you would have to pay like if you wanted an original, you would have to pay more than five thousand for one. In fact, I would I would estimate you might have to pay as much as ten thousand dollars for this that was a, a white fellow by the way um he sounded very black but that came out on the sun record 
label from Memphis, Tennessee. And of Harmonica course, Frank. Harmonica Frank. Uh, Harmonica Frank Floyd. F- Frank Floyd was his real name. Um, if so, it's so rare and it's on Sun, why isn't it on 78? Wouldn't something on 78 be much rarer? How much rare rockabilly is on 78? Well, a lot of it, actually, but, um, but the more collectible pieces are, are on 45s because uh, uh, there's more 45 collectors than, than 78 collectors. So that, that actually, when I, when I say that the, that record could be as much as $10,000, I'm, I'm talking about a 45. Before that, what did we hear? Something that, that was, you got to see live. Yes, I got to see this fellow in uh, 2003 in Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, Larry Dawn. And uh, I believe he was originally from uh, Alabama doing a Honey Bun. Uh, I, I told Larry Dawn I'd rather see Larry Dawn than, than Jerry Lee Lewis. And, you know, his head all blew up out of proportion. And, and very fanatic next fellows that he, he uh, saw when he walked out, uh, he mentioned that too. And they walked in and and, I, and somebody said something. And then I said, oh, that was me that said that. And they said, oh, why'd you say that? And I said, well, you know, I've seen Jerry Lee more than I've seen anybody. And then one guy said, yeah, well, he would show up drunk anyway. And I said, well, that was one thing, yeah, and that's another thing. Crazy Ed, how much did that set you back? How much is the cost of Mr. Dunn there? Uh, Don. Larry Don? Well, that would be another record that would be in the $1,000 range if you could find a mint minus one and if it was for sale, like on eBay. You would, be, you would expect to pay in excess of 1000 U.S. for that record. So for the Nardward Human Serviette radio show here today, how much... Have we spent? Well, probably uh, if we were buying all of these records, you know, we we would have spent uh, probably fifteen thousand dollars to twenty thousand dollars for for all of them. But for the listeners of the Nardwarder Human Serviette Radio Show, it's free. Thank you so much for coming into the Nardwarder Human Serviette Radio Show here today, Crazy Ed. My pleasure. Now, to end, we have a couple Canadians. Hopefully, we'll be able to get them both in. We might not be able to, but tell us anyways. Two Canadians and actually three Canadians in a row. Okay, the first one is from uh, Montreal. This is the the Paramours and uh, Paramonts, excuse me, and Darling Jetador. Darling Jetador. Uh, I'll learn to speak French yet. And know any background on it? And what are no. we going to hear after it? Um, well, then we're going to we're going to hear uh, a, the rarest diamonds cut. The diamonds, of course, were were uh, a, ba- a band, uh, a group from Vancouver. Uh, excuse me, Toronto. I was wanting to say Canadian. I'm I'm getting Russia here, and I'm I'm blowing my lip. But uh, the rarest uh, diamond cut, and actually, it was co-written by uh, Clyde Otis and Willie Dixon from Chicago. And Willie Dixon had a clandestine career writing pop songs and he wrote this this one called You Shortchanged Me. And a lot of people get the, give the Diamonds a bad rap, don't they? In fact, in this record collector magazine, they were kind of dissing the Diamonds, weren't they? Oh, my, were they? Bunch of bad boys. The Diamonds were a tremendously tr- talented group that could do pop, they could do uh, doo-wop, they could do rockabilly, and they could do rock and roll, and they're going to prove it when, when we get to that cut called You Shortchanged Me. And if we have time, hopefully be able to play a bit of the... Underworld. One of the rarest uh, 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 monster record of, of the uh, 60s, Canadian style. Garage style. Well, thanks so much for coming out to the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show here, Crazy Ed. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Mm, nope. Let's rock on. Well, thanks so much and do 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 do
bum 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 Darling, shut that door, I need you more and more Oh darling, can't you see that you were meant for me? Is it the longing for your lips? Come on, kiss so Only you I'm living for Darling, shut that door, oh baby, why? Baby, why? It's you I idolize Let me say once more Darling, shut that door You 
Some you wanna know. 